Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast, and if you haven't heard already, I will be opening all of these podcasts for the foreseeable future with a giveaway drawing. Everybody is welcome, uh, it's worldwide, there's no purchase necessary, it's just anybody that wants to be part of this, just subscribe to the channel so you get notified when these things happen, and comment on any of these giveaway videos that I'm posting, and that's it, you're now eligible, and it'll be drawn right now, at the beginning of every podcast. I really wanted to do this to help kind of cheer everybody up in crazy times, and as well, I wanted to help promote some of the awesome people in the retro gaming scene. So this week, the first week of this, I teamed up with Ryan from Castlemania and Mike Chi. We'll be seeing a lot of them, actually, as well as HD Retrovision to do a giveaway for the RGB to comp as well as a set of really good quality HD Retrovision component video cables. Uh, and this specifically is for people that have something like a full RGB setup, uh, but you know maybe you're going into the uh, like say the OSSC, but you also have a consumer grade TV with component video inputs that you want to use. This is the perfect device. Just grab yourself a SCART cable to go into the RGB to comp RetroTink product and then take good quality component video cables, which of course the HD retrovisions are some of the best you can still get and go from the output of that into your consumer grade TV and voila, there you go. Um, also pretty much any scenario in which you need classic game consoles converted from RGB to component should work perfect in this scenario as well. So, um, every week I will be opening this every week. I will be doing pretty much exactly what you're seeing me do right now. Um, and please help spread the word because I do want to get as many people involved in this as I can. I want to give away as much stuff as I can and help cheer people up until we're all out of lockdown. <laughs> so, um, uh, I guess I'll just jump right in and do the drawing for this week. So I guess I'll just do this live on camera so everybody can see how I do it and know there's no trickery to it or anything. Uh, I got the main, you know, the main video here. Going to open that up, grab the URL. Go to a random YouTube comment picker. Drop in the URL, filter comments. I said just... Put giveaway in the comments, filter duplicate users, which is, you know, that's fair. You can't enter a hundred times. It's going to take a minute, I guess, to scan all the comments. I'll probably speed this up in future weeks, but I really want to show, uh, I want to show in real time how I do this so people know that it's all legit. Uh, so start raffle and pick random winner. Winner is Joybit Legit. So Joybit Legit, I will contact you in the comments. Um, you gotta somehow get back to me directly on YouTube or in a way where we could figure out that it's really you and not somebody with a similar name or something. Uh, but thank you very much for participating. Thanks for everybody in participating. And uh, honestly, I hope to do a bunch of these and I hope it puts a smile on people's faces because you know it's free stuff and I get to talk about products I love from people that I'm very lucky to be friends with. So congrats to Joybit Legit and thank you once again to Mike Chi, to Steve and Nick from HD Retrovision and to Ryan from Castlevania. First up is a post about the Dreamcast PSU, but more importantly, it was a general overview of power supplies and what to look out for. And I tried to be very careful in writing it, and it was mostly just objective because for some reason people seemed to be really sensitive about this topic. I don't really get it. It's nerd stuff. It's ones and zeros. I don't know why there's so much emotion in it, but 
whatever. Um, and I figured I'll do a quick rundown of the post uh, if anybody just would rather listen than read it. But power supplies are way more complicated than they seem on the surface. There's a lot of stuff that goes into them. And I've been burned many times in the past in a different company that manufactured medical grade computers uh, where just one tiny little thing changed and everything went haywire. So it's always been my recommendation to people to only use the original PSUs. And if they break, try to repair those before using replacements. Because any replacement that's mass marketed, how do you know if what's good and tested today is going to be the exact same on a different manufacturing run a year from now. So unless you continuously put them through pretty rigorous testing, it's kind of hard to tell. Whereas a, a power supply that's been out for 25 years might just need a new capacitor and it'll perform just as well as it always did. And some co- companies even overspect the PSUs for all the right reasons. So that's you know the, the first and most important point. And also, uh, when you have consoles that have full internal power supplies, so basically just a cable on the outside, not a wall wart or a power brick, that's doing two things. That's doing AC to DC and then DC to DC to whatever it needs inside the console. And whenever you have that scenario, you could have the most flawlessly built internal DC to DC power supply. But if you have a piece of junk wall wart or power brick on the outside, you'll ruin your console. And that statement has nothing to do with the Dream PSU, although you know it's related to it. That's just a safe general statement. If you use crappy external power supplies, I mean, it's it's terrible for your consoles, and it will absolutely ruin them eventually. It's why it's always so good to use approved, tested power supplies. So then enter the uh, Dream PSU, or really any of the internal PSU mods, and you first have to then make sure that you have that great external power supply. And then at what point, what do you really gain from that? I've heard a lot of people mention heat, but I think it's also very easy to forget that just because something's hot doesn't mean it's bad. It could be still well within temperature requirements of something. Um, So, you know, while yes, replacing a full internal power supply with half of a power supply essentially, um, you know, could help for heat, it might not actually even be needed. So, you know, obviously there's been cases more recently like the PS3 that always kind of ran hot for its originals, so I understand how that could be confusing. Um, Another thing that I hear all the time is people who want different regions for the same uh, for the same console. And that is pretty much the only uh, the only reason I've heard to use one of these that makes sense to me. Now, some consoles like the PlayStation one might actually uh, just be cheaper just buying a second console for your region. But I understand if you've got it modded and, you know, everything's tweaked or, you know, it's your personal console you had since you're a kid. I do get it. I do get the other sides of that. So if that's the case and you need to replace your internal PSU, um, you know, there's a few options out there. I still, in most cases, even if the power supply died, would recommend first people try recapping it and seeing if that brings it back to life. But if you're at a place where you're going to use an internal replacement power supply, you got to make sure that it's as good a quality as possible and test it under load. And that's what Voltar did with the Dream PSU. And what he found was that 
assuming you use a good external brick with it. Um, the Dream PSU certainly won't harm your console at all. It's by no means unsafe. It just didn't perform as well as the original, assuming the original was in good condition. Um, and this could, if at all, manifest in things like some video noise or some audio buzz. Certainly programs like the MD4EA software would see a difference with uh, using a power supply like this, but it's totally safe. So if you, if you ended up swapping this out because you thought it was an upgrade, it's okay, you know, it's... I wouldn't call it a mistake per se, but you don't have to worry about it. Just make sure you're using a really good power supply on the external side. Um, I talked a lot with Voltar about this, and he, one of the suggestions that he said was Kristoff, uh, one of the developers of the DC Digital, actually created a very high-quality adapter that is, uh, works with the Pico PSU to integrate inside a Dreamcast. But I didn't include that in this post, because how do you know you're getting a good quality Pico PSU? Um, and just a few years ago, I went through this with a friend of mine who is a power supply expert. I bought two uh, well-priced Pico PSUs. They weren't the $10 ones. They were like $25, $30 each. Got them both, uh, bought them from two different places, got them home, took really good pictures, and my friend told me, yeah, the one on the left, throw that in the garbage. It's junk. It's made with bad components. It'll, it's terrible. The other one is probably safe. So I didn't want to put links for that, even though I was uh, I would have liked to have praised Christoph's work in the article. Um, I didn't put that in there because I didn't want people accidentally buying a Pico PSU that turned out to be junk. Even if I bought it from a seller and verified that it was perfect and great, how do you know that the next round of production is going to be the same, just like everything else power supply related? So it's kind of one of those things where it's just general safety tips, um, And that's actually why I didn't include any power supply replacements in my Dreamcast video, because of this exact thing. I'm talking for six minutes now, and I would have had to have added six minutes plus to an already really long video just to explain, you know, it's probably not worth it in your case. So... You know, I tried to be objective in this. I don't want to upset anybody. I did have to throw a little Bob-isms in at the end because I'm just me and I can't help it. And I do want to just reiterate the same point I've been saying for forever, is that just because somebody has 100,000 followers and really awesome thumbnails doesn't mean they're an expert in everything they talk about. It just means they make really good thumbnails. So when I have legions of people attacking me over things like, you know, lag doesn't exist, you know, that scaler is fine. The dream PSU is the best thing that's ever been, you know, ever been invented. It's like, I just, I, I'm still baffled that I have to fight these uphill battles. And I do want to very selfishly make the point that in almost every single video I make or any one of these write-ups that I do, I point people in the direction of how to test and verify themselves. And I welcome real criticism. Not, I'm a video expert for the past 20 years, so I know what lag is, and you're lying about lag. Like, no, just buy a time sleuth or use your, you know, your cell phone slow motion mode, and you can prove all this stuff yourself. There's no, you know, there's no agenda. There's no lies. And same thing with this. Test the Dream PSU yourself. Test it under load, and you'll find that it will not kill your console. It won't hurt it. It's nothing bad. It just might not perform as well as the original one, as long as you have a good external power supply. So hopefully this was a good help to people. Hopefully people took it the right way and will use it to learn from from this and make uh, not better decisions, but just more informed decisions in the future. And, you know, there's nothing I could ever do about, you know, stopping people from making a video talking like they know what they're talking about. I mean, that's, you know, welcome to flat earth, right? So, you know, I guess we all just have to educate ourselves and be safe. But yeah, that was a very long, but hopefully 
positive explanation of the what, the why, and everything involving these replacement PSUs. Um, and hopefully we'll see some really high quality stuff get made out there. And that will be also manufactured by people who are just as crazy as uh, most of us are and want to ensure quality. Not just that one clone company that's been cloning everybody's design and throwing it up on their uh, AliExpress store under their partner company's name, which is also them. You know, I almost guarantee if you buy one of those, it's going to be complete and total junk, as with a lot of the stuff that that knockoff company makes. So just be careful with knockoffs too, I guess. Next up, it looks like there's more updates from the 240p test suite team, this time specifically working on the MD Fourier stuff. And some of the updates that really caught my eye were the audio equipment test profile has been tuned even more, offering recording analysis up to 96K. So if you wanted to check and make sure that whatever device you're using for recording is going to be reliable enough, this will be a pretty big help. Um, also, they've added the ability to test stereo versus mono for, I guess, things like SMS versus Game Gear, which is pretty neat. I didn't even consider that as a possibility. So just more proof that this team is absolutely on it and, and really working to do some pretty amazing things for the audio testing side of stuff. Um, I think this is by far the biggest jump in audio testing that's been done in the retro gaming scene ever. So now we're able to get really great analysis of different consoles, different rever uh, revisions and stuff like that. So if you use the 240p test suite at all, please consider signing up for their Patreon because in my opinion, it is a vital piece of test equipment for everybody that uses classic consoles. But uh, anybody that's interested in the updates as well, I have a link to the full post so you can be kept completely in the loop of all the changes they're making. Retrobit has just announced both wireless and wired Dreamcast controllers to be released later this year. And it looks like they're trying to mess with the layout while keeping the same basic shape. So maybe give it a little more comfort, um, move the D-pad and make sure it's a higher quality one. Also add six buttons on the front for people who are into fighting games. And it really seems like they're trying to make this a good alternative that people would you know, they're trying to make something that isn't going to just be a replacement controller. I think they're trying to make something that people might want to use instead of the original, which is always a huge undertaking. So the fact that they're putting this much effort into tweaking it is a pretty big deal. Um, I hope it works out. I hope it's awesome. I'm always skeptical of everything because it's me. But um, yeah, I mean, it looks pretty cool. At first, I was confused because Retro Fighters controller, I was just talking about all these people, stupid people with retro in their name, Retro Fighters, Retro Bit. Retro RGB. Ugh, can anybody get more creative? I couldn't. That's why. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's different than the ones that were previously announced. And um, it seems like it would be pretty cool. So I'm obviously going to reserve all judgment until I actually try one myself. But this certainly looks promising uh, and something Dreamcast fans should at least keep their eyes on in case it's something that turns out to be a good fit for them. A new Atari Jaguar game called Dragon Keep was just released that's based on the Atari 2600 game Dragonfire, and it looks like kind of one of those simple but addictive and challenging games where you gotta dodge fire and collect treasures and, you know, almost like a cross between a shooter and an adventure game. Very old school Atari style, and it looks pretty neat. Um, it was released for free, and you could play it right on ROM carts and emulators. And the developer said there's no plans on making it a standalone Jaguar cart, but they might include it in an upcoming compilation next year, um, which I know is a bummer for a lot of collectors. They love the having the physical cart for 
uh, you know, a pretty unique game that they bought. But for me personally, as long as I have the ability to play it, I'm pretty happy. So as long as you could pick up one of the Retro HQ game drives, which should be available again somewhat shortly, you should be able to play this. But you know, as always, thanks to everybody who donates free games to the community. And, you know, while I don't really care what platform they're on, if they're a good game, they're a good game. I do like to see some of the obscure systems get some love. Maybe one day we'll see a, a homebrew CDI game or something as well. The emulator Emulicious just got a new update for the springtime, and it looks like some of the updates really focused around the debugger. Uh, I'm not a developer, so I can't really give any inside info, but I can give a basic overview. Um, Emulicious is an emulator for Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Master System, and Game Gear. And if you would like to use it just like an emulator to play games, it works perfectly fine for that. But this was really designed with developers in mind. So people that might want to test their games or or really do anything that requires some kind of debugging and really in-depth looks at the games while they're being played. So, um, you know, if you're looking for a cool SMS emulator, definitely try it out. But if you're a developer, I would assume that this has become probably an essential piece of your development tools for those consoles. So thanks very much to Calindro for keeping the project going. Uh, and anybody's interested, it's free to download and try yourself. I released a video on Monday that might be one of my favorite videos I've done. Um, it featured Steve from HD Retrovision, and it's called Testing Audio Voltage on an Oscilloscope, which should be fairly self-explanatory uh, as to what the video is, but I'll give a very quick overview for people that didn't see it. Um, so basically, the voltage on an audio line can be equally, if not more damaging than voltage on video lines if it's done improperly. And just like video voltage, if you're using original game consoles and proper cables, you never have to worry about that. Uh, but with arcade boards, that's always a very big issue. And this has been the cause, uh, audio voltage has been the cause of a lot of equipment getting blown out because essentially arcade boards are meant to drive speakers directly whereas all of this equipment that we're plugging it into at home is meant to accept line level voltage, um, which is essentially a very low voltage and very quiet signal. So not at all what you would send going to a speaker. So the video tells you how to either measure the voltage coming out of something or how to set your scope so that you could tune whatever you're, you're tweaking to the proper voltage and show some examples and answer some questions I've been wondering for a while, like, What's the truth about using Y cables with audio, not video? Um, and how could we prove that to be the truth? Which I, I think we did, actually. We showed uh, scope measurements, and, and Steve really did an amazing job explaining everything out. Which kind of puts my mind at ease for using Y cables for things like if you have an original NES going into a retro tank, you could just use a Y cable to split the mono audio to stereo. Um, and also on the opposite side of things, if you're going stereo into a mono Sony PVM or something, it's safe to use a Y cable to combine that as well. So uh, that's something that I never wanted. I was always... Uh, uh, careful with my answers because I was never sure if I was really right or even how to explain it. So at least now we have the proof. And as always, you know, if anybody disagrees, um, you know, if you disagree because it's something you heard once from a buddy, you know, no offense, I'm not really going to pay attention, but because we taught you how to measure and, and a lot of the theory behind it, if somebody disagrees or has a different theory, just grab your scope, 
you know, post some plots and I'd love to debate it because I certainly, um, you know, I'm, I never mind being wrong, but we put a lot of effort into this and I really think this video is something that could help anybody who uses super guns at home. And if you don't have the ability to use a scope, um, and, but you still really want to use this equipment, turn the volume down as low as possible on these arcade boards and turn it up to like the, the the highest that's just audible. So like on the Simpsons board I showed, it was really hard to to get this on camera. But I mean, it was a you know a wide swinging pot. Imagine the same potentiometer on any volume knob, and it was just a bump over zero to get it at the proper voltage. So kind of use that general information even if you're hooking it up to equipment that isn't sensitive to voltage uh things like the latest minigun or the latest version of the Hass 4.0 or later they have protection in there so that you won't ever send too much voltage but it could possibly clip which doesn't hurt anything it just you know sounds annoying to your ears so even with good solid protected equipment still only bump up your audio on the on the arcade board itself just loud enough to hear it and use your tv or your stereo to turn up the volume that way um, it might be a little more annoying because that might be quieter than other sources but that's the safest way to go about doing it so if you are interested in the the how and the why of all this stuff please watch the video if not my overview might have been even too long as it is i was just really excited about this one and these are my favorite videos to do because i haven't ever seen one in the retro gaming world that put things into perspective this way which is of course all thanks to Steve. so thank you master Steve. we are all your disciples of nerdiness <laughs> Kevin Mellet has just started a contest for the best e-ink label art for Virtual Boy games. So to explain a little bit, Kevin came up with this ROM cart called the Hyper Flash 32, which I'd talked about before, which essentially is the size and shape of a Virtual Boy cart, and you throw an SD card onto it, but you use its touchscreen capacitive buttons to select whatever game from an e-ink screen that's built right into the cart. An awesome idea that I haven't seen at all in the retro gaming world, at least not implemented this way. Um, and he's now working on getting that finalized, getting it, uh, I think, beta units by summer and probably shipping most of them by fall to everybody else. And part of what he wanted to do was have some pretty cool label art so that after you load your Virtual Boy game, it's not just a menu. It loads and saves whatever label art for that game right on the cart which is just such a unique and awesome touch. And of course, in order to do that, you would need a lot of different label art that was tweaked for an e-ink screen. So Kevin asked the community to submit their designs for this, and whoever he chooses as the winner will receive a free HyperFlash 32 cart. Um, now, you know, I'm not, I'm a, a more of a lurking member in the Virtual Boy community than anything else, but I would be willing to bet that if Kevin just asked people for their submissions, they probably would have anyway. Uh, people really love this stuff and appreciate the detail that goes into it. But I think the fact that there's now a prize at the end is just really cool for everybody. Uh, you know, the, we all who, people like me who are not good artists who can't draw to save my life, uh, I could at least just benefit from the work that other people always already did and just show my appreciation in other ways. But this way, artists get to show their work, have some fun with this, and have the potential to win. So uh, if you like the Virtual Boy and you're into some very cool and weird stuff like getting labels and menus and stuff onto an e-ink screen, definitely check out the link, see if there's anything that you could donate. Or to be honest, if you just want to look at the very awesome artwork that other people have already submitted, it's all in there as well. So 
So thanks to Kevin for the cool ideas. And of course, thanks to everybody in the Virtual Boy community for taking the time to make these submissions and get some pretty cool label art. Modern Vintage Gamer just showed off a video of his beta test unit of the Polymega, and it was a pretty interesting video. I don't think it had changed too much since I saw it in person, um, and his unit looked like it was a, a used beta unit, not anything brand new. Um, Vanessa wrote up a pretty good summary of the whole thing, uh, so I, I honestly suggest reading both the post and watching the video, of course. Uh, and just because I was curious, I also did, um, I pulled some screen captures from the video so people could see the difference between the filters. So there's an RGB filter and a composite video filter. And to be honest, they look pretty neat. Um, now, if you watch Modern Vintage Gamers video on YouTube, please remember that YouTube compression destroys the look of scan lines. And unless you watch it at the exact resolution it was shot and captured in, it could get all messed up. So um, if you think they're super ugly, or heck, even if you think they're really great, they might not look that way when you get them home, which isn't a shot at the Polymega. It's all scan lines on anything on YouTube or, or most internet streaming services as well. And for anybody that doesn't uh, doesn't really know what the Polymega is or may have misunderstood, um, it's a, a console, an emulation console, a software emulation-based console that had a little bit of drama when it was released and then had a whole bunch of delays. And then some people speculated that it might not have even been real at all. And I asked the question like, hey, that's some, that's some very valid points here. You know, is it real? And it was. Uh, I got to go down and check it out in person um, and just try it out and lag test it myself. And at the time, it had about three frames of lag, which is standard for emulation consoles. It wasn't bad. And what I think the Polymega is is a device, at least right now, is a device for people who have a bunch of CD games that they want to play on their flat panel TV. And I'm oversimplifying it, not to insult the Polymega, but just to make it clear what it's for. Um, because I think a lot of people saw the video and have heard about it and just said, you know, why wouldn't you use a Raspberry Pi? Why wouldn't you do this? Why wouldn't you do that? And the truth is, I think it's designed and marketed towards people that don't want to do any of that. They don't want to have to load up a software image. They don't want to have to build a case out of something. They just want to take their disc, put it in, and play, and be done with it. Uh, and I totally respect that 100%. Now, for some more of the hardcore uh, fans of these consoles, I think there's still room for Polymega to grow. I just didn't see anything in this beta video yet. And the things that I would love to see is taking advantage of like the Super Nintendo widescreen patches or um, rendering Mode 7 in HD, and especially for the Saturn, you know, rendering that, rendering the, those things in higher resolutions. And even a few weeks ago, I talked about the PlayStation 1 Modern Vintage Gamer video and he said with emulation you would have to you might be able to do some kind of deflickering for the issues that he showed in that video and it's possible that polymega could implement that as well so you know i think there's a lot of potential here it's just for for retro gamers for people who are you know 2d era of games i guess i'm not sure if there's anything here for us at the moment other than being able to play your 
cartridges right on a flat screen. And I'm not sure if that's going to be the best choice for people. But for CD-based games, it's as far as I know, the only thing out there where you could just put your CDs in, start playing on an HDMI output. And it looked like a pretty decent experience. So, you know, if that's your goal too, or maybe you have double setups. I know a lot of people that have their CRT and a flat screen. You have all of your original consoles hooked up to your CRT. It would probably be cheaper to buy one of these than to worry about getting all of your CD-based consoles tweaked, you know, and on a flat screen. So there's definitely a place for it. I just think a lot of people, and me too, for when it first came out, of course, um, I think a lot of people are trying to put it into a category that it's not supposed to be put into. And I think once you think of it from the perspective of it's just a way to play your CD games for now, and they'll have some cartridge adapters in the future, and we're, let's let's see where it goes. I think from that perspective, it's pretty it's pretty cool and unique and it's got a lot of potential. So, um, you know, I did not order one simply because I just got to stop buying all of these prototypes to test myself going broke doing that. So, uh, you know, maybe I'll get a final production version to borrow, to test it out and see what happens. But overall it seems pretty cool and it seems like it has a lot of potential. Um, I just like to see him start to actually ship and implement some cool features that make it a unique experience over original hardware. There's a new version of the Game Boy interface software that looks like it takes advantage of the latest GC Video version 3.0 or newer updates. So that means if you have not updated your GC Video solution and you have a working Game Boy interface setup, it's probably best to leave well enough alone and just enjoy it in its current state. However, if you do have an updated GC Video solution, I would definitely give this a try. Um, Ronnie kind of laid out everything that you would need to know in his post, as well as some of the settings, and of course linked back to the main Game Boy interface pages for people that need any more references or things like that but uh, it's pretty cool to see the software continue to evolve and if for whatever reason you don't know what the Game Boy interface software is uh, imagine it as a homebrew replacement for the Game Boy player disc for the GameCube. So you still need Game Boy Player hardware, but it allows you to play Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance games on your GameCube in a much better quality than the original disc. Um, There was a million issues with the original disc that used to drive me crazy, and this is really the best solution by far if you're using the Game Boy Player hardware. Uh, So if you're not aware of this, please check out the post on RetroRGB and maybe go through uh, even the, uh, the page dedicated to it, not just this post because I would consider it, you know, one of the essential pieces of software for the GameCube, that and Swiss. So, um, you know, thanks very much to Extrems and, of course, everybody on the Swiss team for continuing their their development in this stuff. But cool software. So if you have a Game Boy player and a GameCube, definitely check this one out. Ray Command just posted a review of the TurboGrafx-16 Mini, and overall it looked like a high-quality classic console, something that you would expect from Nintendo, really. Uh, very cool menu, some pretty neat things hidden in there, which I believe we already talked about. Um, and yes, there is some audio delay as well as some input lag and just general emulation lag, but... Unlike a lot of other consoles, it would get pretty tricky to get TurboGrafx-16 on your flat panel TV in HD uh, if you're not a tinkerer. So, um, you know, you could buy a Super Nintendo and a RetroTINK 2X or 2X cart, depending on your setup, and have a pretty decent experience. But if you did that with most TurboGrafx consoles, you'd still have jail bars and, you know, some of like the duo consoles always need recaps. And if you don't do the recap um, and it leaks out all over the board, 
you could ruin the console. So there's there's a lot more that goes into really having a, a safe and quality turbo graphics or PC engine experience than something like Genesis or Super Nintendo. So I think while I still would consider this an awesome and fun toy for collectors or casual gamers, it's still not a hardcore turbo graphics fans gaming solution because of the lag and the the minor inaccuracies in here. Um, but you know, I do love the classic consoles. I think people often misunderstand. Um, my I think people take my criticism of it for me saying I don't like it or I don't recommend it. And I, I do like and recommend almost all of these, even the PlayStation one for its aesthetics, I guess. I think you just need to have realist, realistic expectations and know when to use the right tool for the right job, I guess. So if you want to you know, buckle down and get into some hardcore shmups, the classic consoles are not for you. But if you just want to have an experience where you're able to just play some games without any fiddling, this seems like a great solution. And once again, I do love the whole collectability of these things, the, the functioning miniature consoles. The only one thing that I would say is a pretty big complaint that Ray found, at least in his model, was that he couldn't get any other USB controllers to work, only the one that shipped with it. So I don't know what that means. Can you, you know, are is it a different protocol? Is it customized? Can you use this controller on a computer or on the mister or something like that? So, uh, you know, that was kind of annoying, but you know, not Ray's fault. That's kind of obviously just part of the, the console itself. So I'd like to hear if other people ran into the same controller compatibility issue, but overall it was a pretty cool review and I definitely recommend it for anybody that was curious about it. Chipnetics Computing has just released a follow-up to their Sync Slayer called the Sync Slayer 2. And this is a device much like many of the others similar to it that could take an RGB SCART input and strip anything out of the sync signal that isn't just pure composite sync, C-Sync, so if you're using Luma or composite video or something, uh, and send it either out to regular C-Sync or separated H and V sync. And this is good for people that need a D sub style output with either just one or two syncs on the output side. So people going into Extron equipment, some weird monitors, or, or just going directly into some RGB monitors that aren't compatible with anything other than pure C-Sync. So it's a, a pretty cool device. Um, this one specifically uses the ISL59885 chip, which is a, a newer and kind of better way of doing the sync stripping than some of the older ones. Um, none of them are bad, I guess. It's just a more uh, improved way of processing the sync that allows you to have some more manipulation options. So if you are specifically looking for SCART to D-sub with clean sync, and uh, especially if you need RGB HV, this seems to be a pretty decent device. There's a lot on the market now. So by no by no means am I trying to disrespect Chipnetics Computing at all. Uh, I just mean when I first started Retro RGB, there was one device that did this. And now similar features are built into switches. Uh, there's open source designs out there. And I think there's... But they're all slightly different in each way. So I think this is a cool thing where it fills another niche where if you need a sync stripper nowadays, you don't have to buy the only one available and then kind of change all of your equipment to it. You could see what your setup is like and find the sync stripper to fit that setup, either for functionality or price or whatever else. Um, one other cool feature is there is a breakout block that breaks out all of these signals as well. Now it's not a dual output design, but if uh, you'd rather have a breakout terminal instead of a, a D 
D-sub, then this would be another pretty cool option as well. So once again, if you need a sink stripper, which in many cases you don't, you know, it really has a lot to do with some of the equipment that you're using. I would just take a look at all of the options and there's most likely one that fits your specific scenario pretty perfectly. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thank you so much to everybody who supports Retro RGB and everything that we do. Without your support, without watching these and retweeting and sharing and talking about this stuff, I mean, without all of you, none of this would ever be able to happen. And of course, and especially, thank you so much to everybody that supports on Floatplane or Patreon or pretty much in any way like that. I understand we're not all in a position to do that, so uh, totally understand if you can't. Maybe help spread the word for everybody, though, as well. Um, and definitely spread the word about the giveaway because I want I want to see a lot of people jump into that. You know, I think there's a lot of people out there that would really like to have some of this stuff and you know, maybe it would be a help but they don't need it, so they're kind of, you know, holding off on it. The chance to win something like that's always extra cool cuz you know, it's not like you know, it's just a fun little bonus thing. So please help spread the word and all of that stuff. Uh, and I am, I am kind of slacking on the comments lately because I didn't really think what uh, what having people comment to win would do to the YouTube stuff. So it's kind of hard for me to scroll through and, and reply to other people's comments. So I'm sorry if I'm not as uh, attentive this week for people to comment in the weekly stuff. Uh, but I'll try to figure out a way around it. But anyway, thanks as always. And I'll see you next week.